Happy Tuesday and welcome back to another exciting episode of the Rocketeer Minute where each and every day, Monday through Friday, we go over one minute of the greatest adventure movie Walt Disney has ever made, the 1991 Joe Johnston directed movie, The Rocketeer. I'm one of your hosts, Jim O'Kane of TVDads.com. And I'm Hal Bryan from the Experimental Aircraft Association here in Oshkosh, Wisconsin. And we are watching poor old Cliff in his wounded uh, GB uh, coming in over the hills after being uh, shot up pretty bad. And he's pretty much IFR. (laughs) (laughs) He is. There is a a discontinuity in the first second or two of this this film. I mean, I guess you have to, when you're flying a real airplane, you really can't cover the cockpit with with oil and expect to uh, get get a good shot. So, uh, yeah, that's. Certainly understandable. Oh, it's it's funny, Jim. You mentioned IFR, and we're looking at a GB. And of course, one of the most, uh, I think, inarguably the most famous GB pilot of all time was Jimmy Doolittle, and uh, famous for the Doolittle raid, the B twenty five flying off the Hornet in nineteen forty two, and sort of our first big blow in the Pacific uh, in World War two. But uh, a lot of people aren't aware that uh, that much earlier than that, he was the world's first uh, fully IFR pilot. He did a uh, did an experiment, uh, proved sort of the efficacy of flying on instruments. Took off in a in an open cockpit biplane with a complete hood over it. Uh, took off, flew, landed, taxied back. Did everything without being able to see outside the cockpit at all. And every every instrument flight, so every airliner flight anybody's ever been on, traces right back to Doolittle's first experiment. What a gutsy guy! I mean, it's, yeah. No, it, it, it and you know that was just like the first of many things that he did. He's just he's the the Chuck Yeager of his day. It's it's incredible to think how much and and the reliability of what they were working on. You know, is nothing like what we have what we have nowadays. But uh, still managed to uh, to be the the kind of pilot we needed at the time. <laughs> yes, perhaps not the one we deserved, but the one we needed. <laughs> that's that's right. So. Uh, uh, Cliff decides to switch to VFR with his right hook. <laughs> he uh, punches a, a nice clean hole, oddly shaped like the crack that formed just before he hit it. <laughs> it's, yeah, there did seem to be something sort of pre-cut there, you know. And, and it, again, it's great, you know. This uh, any of these shots we look back from outside the cockpit, looking at at, at Cliff, because obviously we can't really be. It's so small we can't be in the cockpit right in his face, but. I'm always blown away by you know how well this works. This whole construct on the back of the Waco biplane. So you've really got Billy Campbell up there. He's sitting there. We're looking back at him. You know, yes, the whole uh, cut was was uh, prepared. Although it's interesting, you know, in that first punch, like right at second one, there's kind of a shark fin shape above the rivet line or screw line. I yeah, guess, in the plexiglass that isn't broken out right now. But uh, does he punch it again or does he? It's broken out in a later scene. Yeah, I think he'll, yeah, uh, he'll tidy cut... thing. He'll tidy things up in a little bit. Yes, so. I'm sure he will. <laughs> so, uh, good thing he had the goggles on because now they're just getting caked over with uh, thirty weight there. <laughs> right, exactly. I don't. I don't know if you happen. I know this offhand, but what 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 kind of uh, lubricating oil? would a would a gb use is it multi-weight i mean at the time i don't think they had multi-weight i would no it would have been something pretty uh pretty standard i, I don't want to quote a viscosity off the top of my uh, top of my head it's been a long time since i've flown anything with a big round engine like that but uh but you're, you're probably in the ballpark with something like 30 yeah he, he gets the, a bit of a surprise by seeing seeing a biplane coming at him <laughs> right <laughs> what a great uh what a great shot that was is he can barely see uh, all that oil, and then all of a sudden, there's this, there's this Curtis Jenny in his face. 
Yeah, and uh, so he he pulls up slightly, and he he flies past this rather substantial uh, billboard of uh, Wings of Honor, starring some guy named Neville Sinclair. And uh, I have I have looked, I, I have <laughs> I tried my best to find uh, the director of this this apparent movie. There, uh, we, there's a there's a couple of in jokes on that uh, on that billboard. One is the uh, the producer. It says it's produced by Lawrence Fla- Franco, and as we know. Uh, Lawrence is one of the producers, and Franco is another producer of this movie that we're watching. So that's kind of a, a, a club together uh, name. But the name below that, uh, Volmar Fiji, F I D G G E, I cannot find any mention of this online. Well, by the time this comes out, it'll probably be posted directly to a link to the Rocketeer Minute. Right. Um, we should have a contest. Or something. Yeah. Whoever, uh, whoever can identify that for us unequivocally. Yeah. I don't know what they'd win. Yeah. Cite your cite your sources, but we will uh, we will track down something nice for you. But just uh, let let us uh, let us know what that might be. You might get a, a rocketeer type T shirt. So uh, so please uh, you know send all your all your responses should be sent to uh, the, the there's a, there's a contact form on the rocketeer minute dot rocketeer minute dot com. We'll have a contact form, so just go to the contact page and send us send us that info there. You know, uh, very quickly, uh, Jim, right before uh, right before the shot where we see the GB going over the the billboard, you know, we're looking back at Cliff. Then we do have that shot looking straight ahead through the broken uh, the broken windscreen, right? And you know that does confirm something we were talking about. Uh, it was the last minute or the minute before uh, about how. You know, they build this construct to shoot the film with Billy Campbell in the back seat of the Waco biplane so we can shoot back at him. But then we're shooting forward through the broken canopy. Uh, and we saw that earlier shot where he's diving down on the cars uh, in the GB. Um, so that unequivocally, because now we've got a broken windscreen there, that's absolutely something that would have been shot from a helicopter or I, I can't imagine anything else. It really had to have been a helicopter. So interesting imagining this. You know these these constructs they did for sort of the back half of the GB, the front half of the GB, uh, to get a shot that lasts a second. Yeah, yes, <laughs> they, they they need to place him in in space, so they're just doing that to show what he's what he's seeing. But it, right. again, it's Johnson's uh, attention to detail that makes makes this movie work. And uh, we watch him trailing all that uh, all that. Uh, I, I notice when they come back when he's wiping his face off, that is quite a substantial contrail he's leaving behind. <laughs> yeah, it really um, is, and that's you know for the purposes of the film that'd be just traditional traditional air show smoke, which is a uh, at least now, and I would presume uh, even as, as as far back as '91, they were still um, they might have been using something a little bit harsher. Now it's actually. Uh, it's, partially sort of vegetable oil based and you just it basically simply put you put it right into the exhaust and it just cooks off and makes the smoke and it's harmless and drives the mosquitoes away and all that good stuff oh okay yeah yeah beautiful vortices there in the background all yeah. the swirls and things so uh, then we're back down on that that dirt road in in the middle of the woods uh which kind of that 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 kind of underlines how much an oddity the that very permanent billboard that they put up for the for the movie was because I guess they're trying to get passing hunters or bean farmers to go see the movie. Yeah, not only um, a permanent builder billboard, but one that's motorized. You know, requires some kind of regular maintenance, all sorts yeah. of things. <laughs> so, uh, so we're wa- we're watching the uh, the two remaining surviving cars driving off. Right, Fitz and Fitz and Wooly are chasing through, and uh, 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 
Fitch decides that he's going to take a good shot over Wooly's uh, left shoulder. And unfortunately, Wooly's trying to drive the car. So it's uh, a lot of, uh, I don't I, I really don't know what kind of California trees are those. I'm in Texas and they look to me like willow oaks, but there seems to be a lot of uh, bushiness to the, to the trees. I would guess, and it's been, I haven't uh, lived in California for 40 years, uh, but I, I did live there as a little kid. And those are reminding me, could those be eucalyptus? They they could. I mean, I'm, when we see the the the, the final well the, the final shot for uh, Wooly and Fitcher, uh, Fitcher being the uh, where they get caught between the rather two tight trees. Those those leaves do look like eucalyptus leaves. So it could be a a eucalyptus grove. The poor uh, uh, the poor Dodge gets stuck in between. You know, the, uh, to show the escaping getaway car of right. uh, of Lenny. I'm uh, not Lenny of uh, Wilmer uh, busting through. Uh, I do want to follow the the missing headlight and the and the missing pieces on the on the grill of the FBI car though later just to just to check for continuity. Lenny uh, Wilmer's car busts through a, a rather insubstantial fence <laughs> and goes flying uh, flying across uh, apparently open field. And uh, we cut back to Pearl Cliff up in the uh, up in the GB again with uh, a remarkably clean windshield one one more time. <laughs> right um, and. That uh, that rather substantial sound, the, the classic sound of a of a dying plane, where, where it gets very intermittent in its uh, firing. Right, we're sort of putting the levels up on and off, and uh, it, it's interesting too. We do sort of get a mix of engine sounds. Um, a lot of the stuff you hear from in the interiors doesn't really quite match up with that big full throaty sound of a, a radial engine. It's a, a Pratt and Whitney R nine eighty five powering this airplane but anytime you hear it from outside it's always just right yeah i think that's that's just sort of maybe reaching back into the sort of the sound effects library and saying okay we need a an engine that we can take the levels up and down and, and make it sound like uh, like it's failing but I, I have a i have a question as uh, as wilmer cuts across the field there as it's 1938 right now were there faa regs on uh obstructions close to the airfield because i'm seeing all these oil derricks and i know nowadays if you're drilling that close to an airport any kind of airport you'd have uh either orange and white flags or, or i mean lights later on but right uh but at least you'd have those uh those derricks flagged um yeah at at this point uh by 1938 i don't think we would have really seen uh, anything like that it was still it was still a bit wild west now we did have uh, by this time, uh, the CAA, uh, the forerunner of today's FAA, uh, had been around for about 10, 11 years. So uh, so you were seeing things like, you know, pilots' licenses and things like that. Um, but uh, but not so much the regs, uh, you know, the regs around an airport. And it was all, uh, a lot of that stuff was still sort of pretty, pretty wild west. It is cool in the scene, though, as we as we cut and we start to see the airport, you can see you know, unless I'm, my eyes are deceiving me, we can see, we see, I know we see one of the race pylons. Yeah. And is there another, is is there another one in the distance? I thought there was way back there by the other hangar, but that also could be another Derek. It's really hard to say, but, uh, um, anyway, just a, you know, more of a nice little touch. And I love that establishing shot of this, uh, this interesting little airport, uh, you know, now Santa Maria, but, uh, anyway, yeah, and he he's coming through. What we when we had looked at just just to place ourselves in space, uh, he's coming through the back of hangar number three, which is where uh, PV and 
and Cliff kept the and and Skeets and Goose kept the uh, GB. That's that's right. the home of the uh, of, of the GB. But they're coming through the back side of it, so that's why it's un it's unlabeled as we're as we're going in. The all the uh, oh sure, the Curtis and the um, the Pratt and Whitney logos are on the other side of the hangar. So this is kind of the 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 the, the, the undressed part of it. Now from this uh, from this angle, this is not uh, so hangar three is not the. Uh, the main Bigelow hangar, correct? Oh no, I'm sorry. Uh, well, or... they they identify they identify it as hangar three, even though it's hangar number one. That Bigelow's hangar, the the um, the FBI later refers to it as hangar three. Okay. Uh, or I'm I'm sorry. No, no. Excuse me. Wilmer describes it as hangar three when he's uh, being coaxed by someone. But then we're getting a little ahead of ourselves. Right, he'll say we're, he'll we're say minutes it's ahead, Jim. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're minutes ahead. It's, anyway. Uh, he, <clears throat> It's just the Bigelow hangar. The yeah. big, okay, it is the Bigelow hangar. Okay, so that you know that building does still stand, and that's uh, uh, that houses the Santa Maria uh, Museum of Flight. And, oh, okay. Uh, they've got some props on display and stuff like that. But the building, it, it still says Bigelow and everything else. So it's anybody that gets wow. out that way, uh, that would be worth a visit. Definitely, definitely, yeah. So uh, they're they're cutting across the. I would, I would imagine that that field is a little bit more established by by now. In the, <laughs> In the ensuing uh, twenty plus years, and hopefully they've repaired the fence. Yes, no. yeah. <laughs> Picked up all that uh, FOD on the. Uh... Right. So we're watching uh, poor Cliff's uh, GB has turned into a teapot and is <laughs> boiling. Uh... And you know that that quick shot of that gauge, it's uh, it, it's just one more little slice of attention to detail, because as you see, you've got we're, we've got the oil temperature at the top, and it's climbing, and I'm pointing out it's a hundred and and. Through that instant, it's on screen. We see the needle move just a little bit. Lower right of that gauge, this is a, you know three and one gauge. You've got fuel pressure, which is which is fine. Uh, it's not really doing anything. Um, we're not really losing fuel at this point. And then on the left, uh, the oil pressure. We don't even see the needle. It's dropped. It's dropped down that low. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, you could have just shown this gauge. You could have just like painted some red on the gauge and had a random needle pointing towards something red. And that probably would have sufficed for, uh, for the mass audience. But it's amazing to me to look in and say, you know, these are, these are legitimate indications that you'd see. And then, uh, and yeah. of course we're zoomed in just tight enough. We're not distracted by uh, Jennifer Connelly's picture, which is just there to the left. Yeah. Just, I mean, it's, it's amazing how much the, the locations and the, you know, just, just, uh, orienting yourself on all this in in a matter of frames this is not even a second that 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 uh, image is up there but then you just get just enough information to say oh he's in trouble right so uh so we see that uh, uh wilmer's getaway car uh pulling in and lots of things lots of things scattered around the hammer uh we've got part of a frame for uh i'm not sure what that is it, it almost looks like a model uh the, he, he's driving past it's on horses uh, right yeah, you know, and I've struggled to to figure out exactly what that is. You know, it could have been any number of things. It's, I mean, it looks to me like a legitimate, uh, you know, wood fuselage, um, it, without seeing sort of any wing attach points or really being able to get in and look. It it could be any number of things, but but you know, an appropriate wood construction. And then, of course, in the foreground, we've got uh, we've got uh, Miss Mabel, the Miss Mabel, yeah, being one. Yeah, being flown by the uh, the fearless freep. Who uh, it's not referring to the Detroit Free Press, but it's uh, uh, oh sure about, that. about the freep. Um, 
but yeah, uh, but the freep was a, a common a common phrase like uh, like schmooze or anything else. The, sure, uh, and Jeep uh, also came yeah. from Popeye, of course. You know the uh, uh, we'll, we'll talk more I think about that standard obviously later. It's got uh, it's got a lot more to do, but uh, that, um, but that first glimpse of it there, it's <clears throat> a tiny little anachronism. You can actually see the the modern n number the registration there under that horizontal stabilizer and oh yeah for those who don't know that's sort of the aviation equivalent of a license plate it's unique to that airplane but have, have uh, you have you looked up 62505 to actually that yeah that one's uh that airplane has recently been re-restored um i'm about 95 percent sure that it's one of the standard j1s from the great waldo pepper and, and this is the this is the one that you had described earlier as uh, as the one that you flew, or no? So uh, um, in in Waldo Pepper, they had two big crash scenes where they really crashed an airplane, and one of them was supposed to be a Curtis Jenny, which um, a lot of people easily mistake the standard in the Rocketeer for a Jenny. They're similar airplanes, so the standard is considerably bigger. Uh, so two crash sequences in Waldo Pepper. But because they didn't want to damage an original Curtis Jenny or a standard J1 like uh, like Miss Mabel here, they had basically stunt double airplanes, which were De Havilland Tiger Moths. They're still you know beautiful antiques from the late 30s, early 40s at that time. Uh, and it was one of those. It was one of the stunt double airplanes, one that doubles for uh, Bo Svensson's Curtis Jenny when he lands in a swamp. That airplane crashed in 1974 and then flew again in 2006, and I, I got to give some rides in it, which was a real hoot. So um, this was this was the one that it was it was replacing. So right, yeah, exactly. So it was it was a, an unfortunate stunt double, but the the standard J one here you you mentioned you know looking it up, um, so pretty sure that this was one of the ones uh, that's one of the hero airplanes in Walla Pepper, and it was just recently re restored and is flying. It's based in uh, at Creve Corps in uh, St Louis now, oh. and then right around the same time uh, we at EAA we've got a standard J one a 1919. J1 in our museum that uh, that we also did up in Waldo Pepper colors and have uh, uh, I haven't flown it yet but we've flown it a few times uh, and that's uh, when it's not flying it sits in our museum so uh, I think there are I don't know if there are more than the two flying maybe three so kind of a nice little rarity there I, I know this was a frequent question uh, I used to frequently visit the uh, National Air and Space Museum and would just wander through the uh, the visitors' reception area where they people would take questions. And one of the most common questions that people would have in uh, besides where's the bathroom, uh, <laughs> it, uh, the, well the, the the two thing the two things that they would ask is are these real? And and, and you know, of course they're real. They didn't you know things that were representative of backup space probes that you know <laughs> the real one is out beyond Jupiter. Uh, you know right, yes. every, everything there is real. The other question that they had was how many of how many of these planes can actually fly. Uh, of the uh, of the planes in your collection, how many are display quality and how many are actually flight worthy? That's a maybe a deeper question than uh, than it seems at first because I mean, technically, you know, almost almost anything with some amount of, of work obviously can fly uh, can fly again. You know, we maintain at any given time probably. Let me think about this. Do some quick quick math. It's probably between six and eight airplanes that might fly regularly, and then maybe that many again that uh, you know so roll them out, change the oil, and and some routine maintenance sorts of things like that. And then from there, it's sort of a sliding scale on down to uh, to airplanes that uh, that are 
preserved, uh, but would need to be, you know, like fabric airplanes, for example, like so your your standard here, and you look at that wooden skeleton in the back of this scene, uh, that's waiting to be covered. At in the 30s, that would have been uh, uh, cotton with a dope uh, covering over it. So airplanes with fabric covering need to be sort of torn apart and recovered. And certainly a number of the airplanes in our museum before we would take them out and fly them would probably need something on that level of, of, uh, of refurbishment. So um, I want to say all told, if you count every single artifact, including uh, we've got what we call some, you know, what they call gate guards. We've got a few jets on poles in a couple of different places. I think we're at about 240 airplanes in the museum. Wow. Um, but we, you know, we regularly fly uh, uh, the B-17 bomber, the Ford Trimotor, which uh, I know we'll talk about here in a few more episodes. Uh, Curtis uh, Travel Air, Standard J-1 we've been talking about. Uh, we've got two Spirit of St. Louis uh, replicas, and I know we'll talk about Lindbergh later as well. So there are a number of them that we... Uh, uh, sorry, one of the Spirit replicas is on permanent display. The other one sort of rotates in and out of flying condition. Or flying status, I should yeah. say. It's always in flying condition, but whether or not we're actually okay. actively Fascinating. flying. Fascinating. That, that's amazing. Uh, so, meanwhile, back in uh, in Wilmer's uh, rumble seat. Uh... Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. we're talking about a movie here. <laughs> that's right. I remember that. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it's the tangent. We'll get minute. back to the movie eventually. Don't worry. But we we see uh, Wil- Wilmer uh, struggle with the, uh, the the authorized personnel only box, uh, and he runs around uh, to tell right. Lenny that he, they got to hurry. But unfortunately, Lenny seems to have uh, up and died. He's going to have to go to plan. I guess he must be up to plan D or E or F by now. So uh, the uh, <laughs> short note, if you notice the uh, the actor uh, that's uh, kind of <laughs> slumped in the in the rumble seat, uh, that's, uh, uh, gosh, what was his name? Oh, uh, Thomas J. Huff. He was the actor hired to do this, but uh, unfortunately he wasn't. Uh, available for the earlier scene, so this is this is only seen as uh, as poor Lenny because the uh, the stuntman had to jump in and, and fire the uh, the weapon. So if if the guy that's that's dead in the back seat doesn't look like the guy that was just firing the machine gun, that's why he just he was out that day when they were shooting the action scene. So he's so did he make scale or if he doesn't I, have any lines? I don't know. He actually he got credited, so he yeah. must have gotten something. There you go. And uh, so uh, Wilmer t- uh, turns and. Wilmer's a pretty smart guy to figure all this stuff out where there's a well there's a suddenly resurrected uh, F- FBI car chasing after him so he looks um, yeah, he's got to be about the smartest henchman in history he's yeah, yeah he's working he's, above uh, his pay grade through this whole whole scene he's going through and uh, I guess he's uh, yeah very very loyal to the cause right so he's looking around and he spots a, uh, a Hoover uh, canister vacuum and uh now, uh, Hal, I, I know that you have been carefully examining uh, the historical documents about uh, Hoover, so let me let me let you talk about this. Well, it, it's no secret, uh, Jim, uh, to anybody out there listening, that that vacuum cleaners are my passion. <laughs> uh, I think that's uh, that carries through in every episode that we've done together and will yeah. do together. Uh, yeah, I was actually very curious about this because. Uh, you know, really until we started this project, that was always one of those things. Oh, what a cool vacuum cleaner. I'd love to find one of those someday, but um, but didn't really dig into it. And so what I did find out was that, uh, number one, at least as of about five years ago, the original prop still survives. It was up for auction in 2012. And it, at first glance, it appears it didn't sell, but I'd like to dig into that a little bit further. Um, and uh, I know this is going to blow your mind, but it's not actually a Hoover vacuum. 
Hmm. It's a it's a Kenmore Commander, which has got wow. to be one of the coolest names. Maybe next to the uh, the Sucklelux in uh, in Roger Rabbit, uh, <laughs> it's got to be one of the coolest names for a vacuum cleaner ever. So it's a Hoover Commander, and it's uh, it's that that centerpiece uh, with the hose, the sort of the canister is is real, and then the sort of the fins, the streamlining on the side, uh, were an affectation for the movie. And what I always got a kick out of was that uh, that's actually kind of reminiscent of uh dave stevens original design in the in the comics for yeah, the actual yeah. rocket pack it looks a little bit more like it um you know and i i feel like this is blasphemy but overall i actually like the design that they used for the film for for the rocket pack which of course we haven't seen yet but uh, i like that better than what stevens originally drew and i, I feel terrible saying that but funny how this vacuum cleaner just happens to look a, a bit like that yeah, it's uh, when I was a kid, my mom had a had an Electrolux that was very similar to this, and it had that that hatch on the front was it, it was like something out of the lunar lab. I mean, I have a feeling you could go down to you know eight atmospheres of difference between the outside and the inside with it. Uh, it was quite a substantial machine with a lot of metal. I know that it was made it was made in the fifties, and I kept thinking, you know, after after World War Two and all the uh, the, the metal drives ended and things. They they had a rather large amount of scrap metal available. I mean, they were they were grinding up B-17s and B-29s that were coming right off the assembly line and then back into the scrapyard. And I kept, when I was a kid, when I found out about the, the metal drives, I kept thinking, well, if this vacuum cleaner was made, you know, 10 years after World War II was over, there's a good chance this thing was made out of a bomber somewhere or maybe right. a, 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 a retired battleship. So this was, you know, this had been places. Exactly. And, and one last thing to point out on this very special episode of the Vacuum Cleaner Minute uh, is that uh, the Kenmore Commander was introduced in 39. So uh, so these guys oh, okay. are a little bit ahead of the game here. But uh, but then again, this isn't supposed to be a Kenmore Commander, right? It's got the Hoover no, badge on it, uh, and which obviously a better-known vacuum cleaner name with apologies to Kenmore employees of the world. And yeah, then those, it, those great fins maybe it has, on the side. Maybe it has the word experimental underneath the, the wings there. It you, probably you, does. It's always possible. And I'm interested in that, uh, that kind of jury-rigged extension for the pipe. It has... It has a, a large, like tape wrapped around what looks. It looks like it almost looks like a wrench, like a like a crescent wrench. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's. I, I mean, it's it's very substantial. Very, I, I guess you know when you got to vacuum out the inside of your uh, your biplane, you want to reach those hard those hard to get at places. This is this is the tool to use. So uh, it, we go we go from uh, the vacuum cleaner hanger to uh, a very wounded GB crawling across the sky and making all those terrible sound effects. Well, again, here we, here we are back with, uh, from from the left, we've got Peavy, we've got Skeets, we've got Malcolm, we've got Goose, and we've got, who is that guy? We've got the other guy. Yeah, the other guy. So I'm, I'm assuming that he's the casting director or just somebody that wanted to be in the movie and he didn't have a SAG card, so they said, <laughs> here, you put this hat on and you get to be in this little scene. So, and I would sell my soul to trade places with him. Oh my goodness! I get that get that cap on right away. So it's no uh, so we're looking at the uh, those bleachers from the air show that we will see. They, they'll play a rather prominent role in a couple of minutes, but they'll get front row seats at uh, potentially Cliff's imminent demise. And at least he's bringing it home for them. So that is about as far away from doing the pattern as you can. He's just coming in, <laughs> winging, winging a prayer time. Yes, it's just a long, uh, long straight in a uh, straight in approach. You know, yeah. people has got that line there that, you know, something ain't right. That's <laughs> just such a wonderful understatement. Yeah. 
de- decades before Captain Obvious became a thing. Right. So, uh, and then we uh, inter- intercutting back from from the uh, the the failing plane to uh, Wilmer uh, stuffing that diagonal uh, diagonal cut of uh, of the uh, the Kemmler commander there, not bothering to take off the hose. I'm interested, and I didn't notice it until the most recent go round in watching this movie. There's a as they open the box on top of the box, there seems to be a whole bunch of tools and things or pipes and i just keep wondering oh, yeah, a bunch of fittings and yeah things are obviously very carefully placed there yeah which is something that i would think you'd need later on if you were going to uh, use whatever object was in that it was in that box to say you know put fuel in or or adjust the springs but i guess they've got you know other people can figure it out uh maybe uh some aeronautical engineers can can do without all those tools but it is rather i, I would have loved to have seen what that collection of of fittings and, and knobs and switch. It, it mostly looks like gas fittings. Right. Uh, even though, <laughs> yeah. And, it, it, and I don't um, actually recall if we get, uh, you know, this is really the only great look uh, that we get uh, at this, uh, at this case sort of untouched. I don't want to, you know, not to spoil anything, yeah. but when we see this case again in sort of an altered form, I don't think we get another look at what's inside that lid. But I guess we'll talk about that when the time comes. Yeah, we'll we'll, we'll catch up with that. And so uh, actually, we've we kind of uh, he uh, Lenny figures out that the uh, the hose probably won't fit inside the box, so he he goes to give it a quick yank and before slamming the lid down. So we're kind of leave uh, <laughs> we're kind of leave uh, Wilmer to uh, to figure out where you know what he's going to do next with that box. So we'll, we'll track up with that probably tomorrow. I think this is this is going to this is one of the longest plane crashes in history. But we'll we'll get there by the end of the week, I'm sure. Anyway, please, if you are listening to us, I would really recommend that you watch this movie. I I know there's there is a strange and substantial amount of people who listen to podcasts and have never seen the movie. And if if anything, it's it's a lot easier to understand this movie if you're if you watch it before uh, before you listen to us. But we'll try to we'll try to bring it to you through uh, theater of the mind. Uh, so let's, uh, let's pick this up tomorrow and watch the continuing, uh, continuingly, uh, deteriorating, uh, effects of, uh, GB flight one, uh, <laughs> here on the, uh, on the Rocketeer Minute. By the way, if you, if you do want to reach out to us, we are always available on social media. You can catch us on Twitter, Rocketeer Minute. You can catch us on Facebook at the Bulldog, uh, uh the Rocketeer's Bulldog Cafe. Uh, you can also catch us on the big site, RocketeerMinute.com, where we've got every episode that you may have missed in the past seven seven episodes so go catch up there and uh plus we'll probably have cool swag and things and you can also get a copy uh direct from amazon of uh, the rocketeer uh so why don't you join us here tomorrow uh get your midweek going uh bright and early with the rocketeer minute and we'll we'll talk some more about uh plane disasters and vacuum cleaners <laughs> well maybe a little bit less on the vacuum cleaners i don't Pro- think that's probably a lot less yeah <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> well join us here uh, uh tomorrow on the airport minute until uh on the airport minute oh my god no that's another no Force of habit. Let's take that again, Jim. Yeah, okay, here we go. I'm going to cut that part out. Okay. Join us here uh, tomorrow on the Rocketeer Minute, (laughs) and we uh, we will talk about this some more. So until next time, over and out.